and welcome to the Her Voice podcast. I'm Kamel Caruso, Chief Revenue Officer for HerMD and your host for today. We're a female forward wellness center committed to empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, I'm joined by our founder, Dr. Somi Javed and Emma Schmidt, founder of Emma Schmidt and Associates, a practice dedicated to promoting healthy sexuality and intimate relationships. Her practice is the only sex therapy group in Cincinnati, Ohio. Their mission is to promote healthy sexuality and great intimate relationships. Emma's own experience of sexual concerns in her marriage inspired her to become a certified sex therapist. We're thrilled to be talking with Emma today. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I've been, we've been talking about this for a while now, and I've known you for so many years. And one day we shall meet in person. In person, yeah. I know, right? We just want to jump right into it. So I'd love to hear about your story and your journey to opening your practice. I know that you have have mentioned before in some of your social media and also on your website that you faced some sexual concerns in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you could just shed some light on what you were experiencing and how this affected your relationship, also your husband, and then how that ultimately led to you starting your practice. So I grew up, um, I would say I was very religious. That was important to me, not because my parents or my community pushed that on me. It was actually something that I sought out myself. And so in that, I was in that community as a Christian, one of the messages that we would receive was, you know, don't have sex until marriage. You want to be able to save that experience for your lifelong partner. And so that was an important component for me in finding a partner who valued that as well. So then I went to a Christian college and my husband was actually from Germany, is from Germany, and decided to do a year abroad at this Christian university thinking he would then go back to Germany. Wow. But then we met and he stayed and So just to be very frank, we were really horny and aroused and we wanted to have sex. And so to have sex, our, you know, Christian culture says you need to get married. So at 19, uh, we, I think I was 19 or 20. I couldn't drink legally. Uh, We got married uh, for tax reasons, for a reduction in fee for the university and to be able to have sex. (laughs) All good reasons. This is a successful relationship that has been on (laughs) happen. So we get married and we were really excited. I was super excited to have sex. And that night it was so painful. And I had known that that was going to happen, you know, uh, just reading and hearing about things. But then the problem was that sex didn't stop not like hurting. And so we went months and years and it was so confusing. Why couldn't we have intercourse that wasn't painful? Why was it challenging? This was such a value to our, what our religion would say that God would bless you with this like really fun, exciting sex life. And then all of a sudden we're not able to have that. And so it was very confusing for our identity. So we had to be really creative in terms of how to be sexual together. So it wasn't your typical, what we would call performance sex, like, penis gets erect and vagina, um, orgasm, and then you're done. So in a way it was somewhat of a blessing to us because we had to communicate way more about sex. We had to figure out what else is going to be pleasurable for us. What is going to work? We had to really nail down and ask and experiment because neither of us had had intercourse before. Um, how are we going to make this work? 
even outside of what's called vaginismus, but um, in the recent years has now been termed genital pelvic pain and penetration disorder. I didn't know what this was. I didn't know what I was experiencing and I hadn't heard anybody else experiencing it. So that led me into going into sex therapy, getting into school. I was in my master's for counseling and also in Cincinnati and also driving down to Atlanta to get my sex therapy certification um, on the weekends. And um, that is the first time that I heard about a pelvic floor therapist and what vaginismus was and that um, this is a thing. And actually many people have it, especially in the religious culture. And I was baffled that this was the first time that I was hearing about this and having a similar experience as my other clients, you know, you go to the OB and they're like, there's nothing physically wrong with you, but you're like, but I can't have intercourse. This is confusing. It hurts. It's painful. So that led me down to doing my own research on how do I help myself? And also how do I help others get access to this information? There wasn't anyone that I knew at that time that was doing therapy around this. And most people actually felt pretty uncomfortable. And even the therapist we were going to would say, I don't know how to help you. I've never even actually heard of this diagnosis before. So my husband and I were struggling through that too. But so that ultimately led me to open up my practice, Emishment Associates, Sex and Relationship Therapy back in 2011. And then it just kind of led from there in terms of understanding the field more, trying to help other people, trying to get them access to, you know, doctors like Dr. Javade and other, you know, pelvic floor therapists. And even today, it's amazing how many people still come into our office and say, I didn't know that that was a thing. I thought I was the only one, you know, we hear this all the time and it's, it's still baffling. So it's really cool because that's what I'm doing my, so I'm in a PhD program right now for clinical sexology. And that's what I'm doing. My, my dissertation on is a certain modality approach called EMDR and I'm looking at vaginismus and I'll be the first one to do it in the United States, which is really cool. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty cool to see that uh, there, well, there needs to be way more information about vaginismus in terms of mental health, but to see that um, we can still impact the the field by um, figuring out where the clients are needing more information and then trying to provide that through research. And so, it's and, not just yeah. the clients, it's the providers too. You know, yeah. that's why when you and I see people and they walk in the door, they're like, I've been to so many other doctors. I've been to so many other therapists, just like you heard. And people are like, I haven't even heard of this diagnosis. And so right. of course you're crashing through barriers, girl, and you're going to be the first one in the United States. And what I love is that you encountered your own problem. You can empathize with your clients and your patients, and that's why they love you so much. And then you chose to educate yourself, empower yourself, and to do something about it. And I love when people problem solve and don't take no for an answer. And I always send my uh, patients to Emma and um, I always tell her, I have to make sure that they're emotionally ready, right? That mind body connection and mental health and sexual health should not be exclusive of each other, right? I always believe that women shouldn't have to choose between the two. And so we're also going to write a paper of our clinical experience and uh, basically all the patients we've treated and outcomes and how we can do it and how it's a relatively easy procedure. I mean, patients don't stay overnight. Um, They're done in less than an hour and it's really helped a lot of patients. So, and I work closely with Emma about that, but I'm excited to see your research or your dissertation. That's going to be amazing. Thank you. I think 
you know, one of the things that I've been noticing in researching and creating this dissertation proposal for my study is exactly what you're talking about, this mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And what we're noticing, uh, there was some research that I found that said that the number one piece to vaginismus is anxiety, actually. And that what happens in the brain is that in the brain, there's this section called the um, limbic system. And that's where we hold our emotions, specifically in this area called your uh, uh, your amygdala. But the limbic system is your emotional part of your brain. And the amygdala is in there, which is for anxiety, fear, parts of depression. And that part of the brain is connected right to your spinal cord. So if I'm experiencing anxiety over a negative sexual message or, you know, like, let's say it's religion, um, what happens is I say like, oh, sex is bad before marriage. And that amygdala then triggers my spinal cord and impacts, like goes all the way down to my pelvic floor and it impacts the physical part, right? So I start clenching my pelvic floor and I start experiencing maybe vulvar pain or vaginismus, or I don't experience um, libido in the way that I want to because my amygdala is shutting that down. And that's where that mind-body connection really plays a part is that the way that our thoughts and our emotions impact our body because of the direct connection it has to our body is so important. So having someone like, you know, you all at HerMD and having a pelvic floor therapist, but also having that emotional piece a lot of people think, oh, I should be seeing just for the physical part. But um, like what you've noticed, once the physical, sometimes it's hard to get to the physical part until you actually do the emotional work, right? So the emotional work many times has to come first before you can actually resolve the, the physical part. So we'll see a lot of clients who are really frustrated because they're saying, I've gone to doctor and doctor and doctor and I or I've gone to pelvic floor and it hasn't been successful, but once they work through the emotional part, then physical therapy is easier or going and getting treatments with a gyno or at your office. Because some people even avoid going to your office because of the anxiety of a, what what we might call trauma from past OPs who didn't believe in vaginismus and just penetrated them anyways. And so trying to work through some of that to even get to your office is important. So that mind-body connection is so huge that I think is sometimes undermined. No, I saw a patient this week and it broke my heart. She is unable to have intercourse. She's in her twenties. I don't want to say too much detail because we're in Cincinnati, but she discovered probably at 13 that she could not insert tampons. And so her mom took her to the OBGYN and they said a nurse came into the room and inserted a tampon kind of against her will. And it was kind of like, just put it in there and then she'll get used to it. Well, now she's traumatized from that. And she actually had a partial hymenal problem that eventually at age 19 needed surgery. But then that congenital problem, along with the trauma of that, is what gave her vaginismus. And, you know, if someone would have delicately examined her and saw she had this hymenal problem and corrected it when she was ready, she may not have had it. Because when I asked her what she feels like her trigger was, she it was like that exam when that yeah. tampon was placed in me, she goes, that that's what triggers me. Um, because when I used to try myself, she goes, it hurt, but it didn't like, you could see she was sweating when she was telling me this story. Right. And Emma, you and I both talk about this. Like, you know, I firmly believe, and it's so funny, my neurobiology major, like 
our biggest sex organ is our brain and our brain protects us. And I tell patients all the time who have vaginismus who've been told previously, oh, just relax or drink some wine or just lay back. And it's kind of like they, they then feel even more shameful, like, oh, I can control this. And so I tell them, I said, when you touch something hot, do you say, wow, that's hot. I have to pull my hand away. It's like, no, your body, it's kind of like an autonomic reflex. And you pull your hand away. Your body, like you said, is firing all those signals, your brain, and it's protecting you because there's either an emotional or physical trigger that touch, not even necessarily penetration, but touch in that area has elicited pain or a traumatic experience. And you actually see them breathe this sigh of relief because they've been carrying this for 10, 20, 15, however long they've been carrying it. And then you see the tears, right? Like, okay, it's not my fault. And then Mm -hmm. there are solutions, but I tell them very honestly up front that yes, there are treatment options, but this is work. Like there are multiple things I'm going to tell you. I'm going to get Emma involved. I'm going to get a pelvic floor therapist involved um, because there are so many facets to sexuality, you know, not just vaginismus, but any types of sexual um, problems that women have, right? There's all these neurotransmitters that are firing, but there's also other issues. So yeah, that breaks my heart. And I love the fact that you're sharing your story and that you're always so brave and so honest um, to share your own details, Emma. Truly, it's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it was hard for my husband at first because he says, like, don't tell anyone at our work parties what you do. Because the focus would then be about everyone, like, swarming around and telling me all of their sexual secrets and, like, (laughs) asking me things or asking him. And he's like, I'm not a sex therapist. Don't ask me. I don't know. But he, he's like, I don't know if I want people to know about our intimate experiences or whatever, but for me and like many people, you know, who are passionate about their field, their experience really brings them to where they're at. Right. And if this is, I mean, obviously this is still not talked about enough. And so if my story can kind of open up, here are ways to help you. Like I, I get it to some degree, right. I'm not like you, like everybody's story is so unique, but it's, it's hard and you gotta, how do you figure it all out? And if I can help make that journey for someone much shorter in terms of getting that healing, like that's what I would want to do. I agree with you. But the one thing that I have found, because my husband has a hard time dealing with it too, is when you work in this field, people do make assumptions and then they are also very curious about your sex life, right? Like, Yes. In the office, they were playing this game and they're like, if you could have any sexual partner in the office, who would it be? And they're like, Jabay, 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 because she knows what she's doing. I'm like, do I? Like, I know the drugs. I know all that. But that, you know, so, um, and then my girlfriends, of course, with a glass of wine or martini or not even that will be like, well, how many times a week do you, I'm like, why is that important to you all? Like, so I'm not quite there yet with you. And my sister knows I'm very private about my own sexuality and my sex life. And I think it has to do, you know, I grew up in a very conservative Muslim household and you did not change in front of people. You did not talk about your anatomy and you certainly were like, there were no talks about premarital sex because it was not going to happen. Mm -hmm, And um, so I think that is still carried on into my adult life. And then like you, I chose to you know, empower women, study, learn about it and practice it. And to this day, you know, Kamal knows my parents will be like, she's a gynecologist, but they will not uh, talk about any of the other stuff that I do. Definitely um, not. Definitely um, not. But you guys both brought up religion 
And, you know, we were both raised in like, or the three of us were raised in religious households. And there, there can be shame associated with sex tied to religious upbringing. Why do you think this is the case? And Emma, how do you help individuals and couples overcome that? I think that there have been messages that have been taught throughout the years that weren't necessarily religion-based, but have become a religious message from, hey, I this is what I want to believe, and so I'm going to teach you all this, versus like where it is necessarily like in the Bible, we'll say. And so I'm seeing a lot of that, like messaging that people aren't necessarily questioning, but they're saying, oh, that must have been true. And so it then creates this negative like schema or narrative about sex, right? And as we're starting to investigate and be more curious, we're realizing like, oh, maybe it wasn't actually meant to be that way. And so with the clients, um, I just do a lot of being curious and that's what I had to do as well, right? Um, and I definitely keep myself out of the the therapy room. I look at everybody as a unique person and I just stay on their stuff. But it's about being curious, like, where did these messages come from? How do they impact you? What part of that do you want to keep today? What part of that do you want to get rid of? What part do you want to believe now? And what part do you not? Where do you feel that in your body? And so we're really accessing, like, how have those messages really influence the way that you interact with yourself, the way that you interact with your partner? And it's a lot of normalizing, like, your body is experiencing what it's experiencing for a reason. And that's okay. Don't shut that off. But sometimes that can take a while. But when people start to allow themselves to love their bodies and listening to their bodies, instead of shutting down whatever's coming up for them, that's when people start to feel more comfortable sexually and with themselves and with their partner. And the shame starts to go away that like, I'm a bad person for doing this or feeling this way. I struggle with the religious aspect the most, I think, because for me, I don't want any individual person to feel like I'm disrespecting their religion. And I've had sometimes women are coming so angry and so frustrated and rightfully so they've been dismissed. And, but you know, you're not Jewish, you don't understand, or, you know, you're not a practicing Muslim, so you don't know the pressure or, you know, you didn't grow up going to church and, and you don't know what it feels like. And I'm like, I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you. And sometimes when I tell some people that the religious upbringing may be one of the triggers, they at first lash out in anger or denial. And I'm like, I'm not trying to, and cause I had one say, well, what about all the other religions? And I was like, listen, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for some people that can be a trigger. We're trying to figure out what happened and you know why you're feeling this and I'll help you feel better. So that's where I go, mm, we need to see Emma <laughs> and she can help you navigate this. So me personally, as a physician, I struggle because I really don't, I want to take care of everybody. I don't want to offend anyone. And I'm really trying to educate people and empower them and help them understand why their body is experiencing this, because a lot of them want to know why me, like what, why, what is happening? And sometimes they're not ready to hear that answer. And that's where it goes beyond me just telling them, here's a dilator, here's some vaginal Valium, here's your prescription, you know, for pelvic floor physical therapy. I'll never be successful unless we take care of everything that's going on emotionally, psychologically, you know, and they need time to process that, especially when it's the first time it's hit them in the face, right? They think it's just purely a physical problem. My muscles are spasming or something's wrong. I've had people, can't you just give me something for it? And then I'll be done. I'm like, no, you have to do the work. Otherwise it's going to keep coming back up over and over again. But 
me, it's a struggle. Honestly, it is. I mean, even just personally with religion being a part of life growing up and then the cultural aspect of like, you don't talk about it. So if it's like, you don't talk about this thing in a young, at least in my, not everyone, my young adolescent mind, it's like, oh, well, that's like not something I should talk about. I should be like X way or this way. And like, it brings just along this like, maybe shame or just like this thing of like, oh, if I'm like a certain way or overly sexual, like that's not good because you're supposed to be not talking about it and more pure or et cetera. And I think not necessarily that the religion says that, but it's like what Emma was saying that like context around it and the messaging gets kind of all mixed up and it leads to that kind of shame about how you are or the ways you should and shouldn't be. Yeah. And I think that's a huge piece that I see in almost every case that I talk to, right? Like most parents weren't trained in how do I talk to my kids about sex, right? So that's, we hardly ever see anybody saying they got a healthy sex education growing up. But what we see is exactly what you're explaining because of the absence of that, then there's anxiety, right? The fear of the unknown. But what we know is that we're not supposed to, but we also have a lot of questions, but we feel like, you know, there's a ton of anxiety and then that shame coming up for, you know, I feel bad for doing this, but I also am, you know, experiencing these positive feelings, but they're also negative because I'm not supposed to be feeling that like, there's so many, there's so much dynamics in that. And of course that gets intertwined into the body, especially for women, you know, and even though you not might not be religion, I'll hear people say, Oh, I'm in a Catholic family, but we're not practicing. You know, there's still messaging, even if you're not a practicing religion, your culture, where you are in the States or in the world too, that, definitely brings into a part of what we would call like your biopsychosocial, like biologically what's happening with you, psychologically, what are you being taught and socially what's happening in your environment for exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of different factors. I want to circle back because we've talked a lot about some strategies that you use and that you are a certified sex therapist, but like, what is a certified sex therapist and how do you work with patients and couples? So uh, what I always start out with is that I don't have sex with clients, though there are some people, they're called sexual surrogates or sex workers who do that work and that feels good for them. And if you are ever interested in surrogate work, you should definitely watch the movie Surrogate. It's got Helen Hunt and she's a surrogate. And it takes this uh, guy who is, he has this disability. Gosh, I wish I could remember what it is, but he can't move. And he wants to be able to understand how to have an erection and sexual pleasure. And so he needs an aid to help him figure out how to do that. So it's actually a really cool movie and really um, can um, give you a new idea on sex work and surrogacy. So I recommend that, but as a certified sex therapist, I am not a surrogate nor are any of my people in my team. So a certified sex therapist is someone who really looks at uh, what sexual challenges are coming into the room. So sex therapy is kind of a big umbrella because you could see low libido, sexual pain, you know, the sex medicine kind of categories. You could see what some people would say are sexual addictions or out of control sexual behaviors, desire discrepancy. So I want sex more than my partner does. How do we navigate that field or fetishes, kinks, BDSM. Then there's open relationships. There's polyamory. There's affairs, premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, cancer, sex and cancer, and all the things that 
uh, like in between, right? So really sex therapy is addressing what sexual concerns are you having in your relationship? So when you're looking for a sex therapist, one, there might be only be one in your community. And so that's kind of what you get. <laughs> which is awesome if you even have that, but also recognizing that just like with any other doctor, a sex therapist really specializes in certain things within sex therapy. So a sex therapist is certified or, I mean, licensed in a mental health profession. Mm -hmm. Usually, I mean, now there are uh, medical doctors who can now become certified as sex therapists and sex counselors, but typically it's a mental health professional And within that, then they also specialize within a sexual health category. So I would say that for me, I'm more sexual health, sex medicine, couples therapy related, where some other people on my team focus more on BDSM and kinks. And another one focuses on women's issues and sexual health or premarital and um, younger kids, younger kids, meaning uh, college age. (laughs) (laughs) Or we have um, one of our therapists who's working on sexual health on the spectrum. So people who have autism and their neurotypical disorders. So it's really cool to see that there's so many different categories within sexual health. And a lot of times it's people ask, you know, what would you actually do? And I remember I was telling my grandparents about that I was going to be a sex therapist and they asked, are you going to be watching your clients have sex on the table? And I remember we were sitting at Olive Garden like back in the day and I was like, no, that's not what we're going to do. But that is what Masters and Johnson used to do, right? That's how they got to know what sexual arousal and the sexual arousal system was, which was awesome. But that's not what we do as sex therapists, though. Honestly, that would be very helpful if I could do that. (laughs) I could like watch them and give them some feedback on like the interactions. But no, that's not what we do. Uh, So yeah, individual couples, family, we kind of do it all. Sexual abuse, trauma. And we approach it in a lot of different ways, whether it's sex therapy or trauma work uh, with EMDR, or we do groups as well. I want to circle back to something that you said. So you had talked about how your husband and my husband too, uh, our primary care doctor jokes that he turns, my husband turns red in the face when um, he brings up sexual health. And he's like, how are you married to so me? But you talked about how your husband initially struggled. And so for me, I will tell you, my first barrier is when I want to send a patient to you you know, and I say your husband needs to go to, or your partner or your love or whoever it is, they'll say they'll never go. So what pieces of advice do you have? Obviously, then I encourage them, you need to go, you need to, you know, figure out what's going on with you, obviously. But what little pieces of advice do you have for the women whose partners are not quite ready to come in, how they can open up this discussion or share how they're feeling or move to a better um, mutually satisfying sex life? What, what tips do you have for people who are going to come to you individually? Well, I think, so that's a challenging question to answer because I start getting into, well, what is the dynamic between your communication? How is the problem being perceived in your relationship? What's going on? For a lot of men, therapy, there's a stigma there, right? So like this macho-ness and like vulnerability is weakness for some men. And so what I always like to say is just come for, you know, call for a consultation, 15 minute free consultation, or just go for one session and see what it's like. And if you're not feeling it, like that's okay. You tried. And I think that's good showing up. Right. But ultimately we have to realize like, what does this mean for our relationship? What are we wanting sexually or relationship wise? And how can we start to see each other as a team instead of this is your problem? 
Um, so we'll see women coming saying, well, uh, my husband sent me, I need to get fixed and then go back home. And um, what I think is there's a dynamic there, right? Of your partner is also part of that problem because you all are triggered by each other, impacting each other in some way. And so we need to heal this as a partnership, as a teamship, not just as the individual. So I always just encourage, you know, come for one session and everybody needs a therapist that works for them. And I'm not always that therapist for everyone. And if you've had a therapist before, I'm going to be honest, I go to therapy and I went through a good 20 therapists before I found one that I felt like was like, oh, they know what they're talking about, you know? So don't give up on it. I know it's a hard journey. It's so hard, especially with sex therapy because it's limited, but keep trying to find someone that works for you and your personalities and your situation and keep advocating for yourself. But specifically for men and partners, I would say just try one session and see what it's like. It's interesting when they have that light bulb moment, because um, with me, they want to come to me and get a drug, right? Like they, they think the drug is going to fix everything. And I love the medications that are out there, you know, whether it's testosterone or Addy or Vilesi, but I had a really interesting conversation with a woman who I've been seeing for a couple months and I've been trying to get her in your door and she's just been resistant and resistant. And the husband's always on the phone with her. And, you know, we've tried a couple different medications. And then finally, this time he wasn't on the phone. And um, she goes, Dr. Javade, my brain has woken up. My vagina has woken up. I have arousal. I literally realized after I gave myself the last injection, I was talking myself into having sex with him. Like, I want to have sex now. It's just not with him. Yeah. And she started crying because she realized two things in that moment that she wasn't broken. Like she thought she was right. Her body and her brain could respond. And the problem was within the marriage. Right. And I think it was the first time she allowed herself to verbalize that. And like, I have goosebumps because I just, I've been working with her for a couple months, but I let her come to that conclusion. And so she's like, I think you're right. I think the therapy needs to start happening And she's like, he's never going to go. I said, well, then you need to go because you need to be able to talk about what you just said in here in a safe place. And she's safe. Nothing's happening there. But it was really eye opening to her. She thought all these medications were failing, but they weren't. And then a lighter hearted story is, you know, I'll try medications on people and like, nope, nothing's working. Nothing's working. I'll see them for their annual and be like, how's it going? They're like, oh, I'm having the best sex of my life. I'm like, which medication finally worked? And they're like, oh, Dr. Javade, I got divorced. I got a boyfriend, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, partner, partner, you know? So it can be so much about that, that partnership. And um, I'll hear people who will say, you know, my doctor, you, whoever, said that I should come to you, you know, like a year ago, six months ago. And they'll say like, I wish I would have come earlier. Like, I didn't know it would be like this. And so I think that there's an assumption too of what therapy is going to be like, specifically sex therapy. And so I always say, just try it out. Because what I have noticed is that people tend to be more surprised and find help and what they're looking for in a way that they didn't realize that they needed. So sometimes there are these blind spots that we don't recognize that are there. And so therapy is really there to help kind of catch some of those and call those out and figure out what are you all needing and how do we get you all on the same page? And sometimes it's, I'm just not interested in my partner. I need a different partner or, you know, um, we've been doing this thing for years that I don't like, and I'm trying to figure out how to, I didn't realize that I've been falling into this trap or, 
you know, I'm in an abusive situation and my, my partner keeps sending me, but, um, I don't want to have an orgasm. I'm like scared and I'm just forcing myself. You know, there's so many dynamics there that could be happening. And then you throw COVID into it. Right. And people are scared and there's stress. And when stress in the brain and sex go on, it, it's like a no-go for a lot of people. For some people, it's really arousing. It's more so men um, that we find where sex can be a stress reliever. But a lot of times for many people, that stress and anxiety makes you focus so much on those what ifs and the things that need to get done. And it actually turns the knob down on the volume of desire and arousal and libido. So sometimes it's just about uh, being able to be aware and recognize other pieces that could be going on outside of the medical part. But I would say this too, and I know you would agree with me, Somi, is that if you are experiencing anything, low libido, pain, challenges, and your doctor is saying you're fine, you got to find another doctor because we've seen so many people who once we get them in the hands of Somi, that she's a miracle worker and they're like exactly the same thing. They finally feel hope of oh, somebody finally figured this out. And that's because she specialized in sex medicine and she's been trained in this and she knows what to look for. So that's a huge piece that I would say to anybody who comes through my office, if they keep being told that nothing's wrong, like go find someone who specifically specializes in the sex medicine part. Oh, thank you, Emma. Right back at you. I, you know, it's a labor of love. You know that you have to love what you do. You have to be patient. I tell patients that too. I'll help you find a solution that works for you. But sometimes you got to give me time, right? Because this problem has happened over a very long time. And sometimes it's not fixed overnight. You know, sometimes some cases are easier. And I think they're just so thankful when they come to you, or they come to me to have someone's listen to them, they feel heard, and they're not just brushed off. You know, that's my biggest pet peeve is when women or couples are just dismissed and said, oh, it's normal, or that's a normal part of menopause, or, you know, you've been through cancer, you survived, just be thankful. And it's horrific, the things that women are told are the messages that were given, you know, by doctors, by insurance companies, you know, by other people. I had a patient two weeks ago where her sex meditation was not covered. Her husband's was. And so what is the narrative there? What are we saying? I did a post about this. The insurance company told my patient that sex was medically unnecessary. Mm -hmm. It covered his Viagra. So are they saying, go have sex to the husband, but with someone else? And obviously, sorry about your luck being his wife. And that's what she said. She's like, what message are they giving us? That I don't matter? That uh, it, he can have sex with someone else because certainly I can't have sex without this medication. I'm in so much pain. So it's heartbreaking the messages that women are just given. And I think they internalize those messages and, and then they feel hopeless um, when they come to you or I. So I'm glad that we're able to offer them choices and let them understand their bodies Kamal just posted something today that was very, very interesting about <laughs> what 25% of women, right? Misidentified their vagina. vagina. 25%. Yeah. If someone asked me what a vulva was, like before I started working here, I would have zero idea. Yeah. Like I, I did not know the anatomy and that just speaks to like, you know, misinformation, lack of education, um, learning from your other like teenage friends who have like zero idea and they've learned it from like an older sibling who had zero idea also. Yeah. My three-year-old calls it her front butt. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I need you to know it's your vulva. 
we went into, uh, we had to go to children's one day and my daughter said, she's used the word vulva. And he looked at her, she's five and she was four at the time. And he was like, it was a pediatrician. He was like, what is she saying? And I said, oh, she uses the word vulva and she's four. And he's like, huh, okay. (laughs) So I think it's, there's a lot of education that needs to happen, right? And why it's important to use the right terminology and also why it's important to have fun words during sex play and how erotic that can be. So when to use the right terminology and when to also, and talking to your partner about that, like, I love it when you use this word when we're having sex because that's really arousing, or I hate it when you use this because it makes me feel like trash or, you know, like whatever that might be, but also knowing, you know, what are the correct terminologies and why am I uncomfortable saying that. I love that front butt. I, I think that might be better. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's hilarious. But like, I think that like what you were saying, Emma, that communication, you know, in speaking with a lot of my friends, learning how to communicate better with your partner, 30 to 40% of men and women, right. Struggle from some sort of sexual dysfunction. And then it can affect 80% of relationships. So just those numbers alone, it's like, wow, why aren't we talking about this more? Mm -hmm. And are people comfortable talking about it even with their partner, even if they do have a very close relationship? Right. Which is typically no. And most of the time, and I'm sure you can, you get this too. So like when we see our clients, it's usually the first time that they're ever talking about sex at all. And so to think like, okay, you are 50 or you're 60 and you've never communicated about sex with your partner ever. And you're just in the place of assuming, but you want more. That's really challenging to think you've been, you know, in this relationship for so many years and you all have actually never talked about it. And so I think what, what our mission is, is um, like our tagline is increasing intimacy and decreasing shame for our practice. And I think that is very missional to, you know, like what Somi's doing and what other sexual health providers are doing in this mm-hmm. area is we got to keep talking about it so that it feels so much more normal and we're normalizing sexual terms, sexual arousal, sexual behaviors, relationships, so that the shame can start to it's a generational thing, right? Like, so we can start getting away from that. And I think there's, it's definitely happening with this new generation um, under me. I'm a millennial technically. I think that there, it, it is starting to happen, which is good, but continuing to normalize that and talk about it as if it's like no big deal. So like my daughter was at the park the other day and she was like, I got to poop. I got to fart. And I'm like, right. Like it feels embarrassing for other people to talk about that, but like, why not just normalize all of this stuff. And my husband's from Germany and these things are like no big deal. Like they'll talk about them all day at the dinner table. And my mother-in-law was talking about using a lube that I left in Germany. And I was like, okay, I got to get used to this. Like I had to like, you know, do my own deep thinking, but like in some cultures, it's no big deal like at all. And I think that's what we're trying to do too, is um, help normalize uh, people's experiences. I agree with you. The next generation seems to be changing things. You know, even watching my own daughters and the questions that they're comfortable asking. My husband and I went away, you know, last weekend just uh, for two days and we came back and the girls were like, did you have sexy time? And I was like, (laughs) and of course, you know, my husband turns red and he's like, do you think that just because your mom's a sexual health doctor that that's okay for dinner time conversation? And they both were like, yes. And I was like, you're fine. It's fine. Cause watch this. I go, yes, we did. And they both were like, 
ew, you guys are so gross. And the questions immediately stopped. It was like, that was it. And I was like, don't try to one up me. But it's always amazing to me. I agree with you. You know, I'm seeing couples and or, you know, my female patients and they're like, no, I can't talk to him about that. And I'm thinking you've been married 30 years. I'm like, you sleep together, you know, like next to each other every night. And, but no, cause they weren't taught that. And they were never given a safe place to voice those concerns. And they don't want to talk about it necessarily. And so that's why your work is so important. But I agree with you. This next generation, they are going to be different for sure. Yeah. And I think to circle back to what you were saying at the beginning, when people think that we, you know, like sexual health providers have amazing sex and whatever, to recognize that, like I learn and I grow with my clients a lot of times, like there are times when we're struggling and we haven't had sex, you know, for months, or there are times when we didn't have sex for years because of postpartum stuff or, or, you know, whatever that might look like. And then there are times when things are working so well, or that there are babies crying or you're trying to, and you have to keep getting up because of the kids or whatever that might look like. And recognizing that, you know, we do this work because we also experience what our clients and patients are experiencing and it helps it feel like, okay, I can, I can empathize with what they're, they're going through. So I think it's, there is a perception that we got it all together, but I think more than anything, it feels like we can relate more to our clients. Oh no, I'm right there with you. Postpartum, postpartum depression, kids running a business, taking on everyone else's, you know, emotional burden. You know, sometimes at the end of the day, you're just spent. Erfan will joke because his line now is they're like, oh, how's it like being married to a sexual health doctor? And he's like, she's too busy helping everyone else have sex because just because he wants to deflect yeah. the question. But yeah, no, I've been there. And I had a fourth degree tear after my first you know, kid. I couldn't sit for three months, let alone think about intimacy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I um, am more open about it. Not, it. not as much as you are for sure. But when they ask me, you know, have you experienced low libido? Have you gone months without intercourse? You know, yes, I'm not announcing it on social media. I'm not sharing all that. But with patients, when they ask me those frame questions, I'm like, yes, I can understand. I've been there. You know, yes, I've had babies. Yes, I've, you know, nursed and been up every two hours and had zero interest. So I I agree with you. I think our patients knowing that we've experienced a lot of what they've experienced really helps us. Yeah. Well, this was like amazing, which I knew it would be because you're so great, Emma. Before we wrap really quick, Can you just let our listeners know how to keep up with you and be in touch with you? Yeah, you can find us on um, Instagram at Emma Schmidt Sex Therapy and on Facebook, Emma Schmidt and Associates Sex Therapy. Right now I'm taking a bit of a break because life (laughs) and COVID. And so, but you can look through all of that. And then also our website is emma-schmidt.com and you can schedule an appointment there online. If you want to, if that's more comfortable, email us, call us, whatever that looks like. We try and provide sexual health education on our platforms because we know that everybody, not everybody can afford therapy or has the means to be able to have that time to do it. So we try and educate as much as we can through those platforms. So feel free to check those out or give us a call. Thank you so much for the best. Thank you all. This was, I mean, we could do this for hours. I feel right. Thank you all so much for having me on. 
This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD, a female forward wellness center in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can follow HerMD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerMD Health and sign up for our newsletter at HerMDHealth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll share it with your friends. They can listen to us on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're a healthcare provider who is interested in opening a HerMD location, or if you already have your own practice and you'd like to be powered by HerMD, reach out to us at info at HerMDHealth.com. Thank you.